Pastor John will be preaching this morning from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. I invite you to follow as I read. Put off your old nature, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new nature, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I mentioned two weeks ago that this series, which is coming from Ephesians 4.17 through 5.20 was sparked by the feeling that several of us on the staff, and I think also many of you have felt, namely that we need to take some of the grand things we believe in, and our faith in general, and apply it to some of the nitty-gritty, ordinary affairs of life. That's what this text does. And last week we began with verses 17 to 21. And we talked about how Paul, for the third time in this letter, lays bare the moral misery and corruption of our hearts apart from saving grace. And I want to review that for you very briefly. He said that there are six layers of corruption. First, in verse 18, the root problem is hardness of heart. Second, also in verse 18, the hardness of heart against God causes a great darkening of the understanding. Third, the result of this darkness is a gross ignorance of reality. And, and I qualified that by saying, yes, there can be a long string of degrees after your name, and you can know 10,000 facts that nobody else perhaps knows, and yet not know in unbelief how those facts relate to God and His purposes in the world, and therefore be ignorant of the meaning of those facts. And who cares about facts if you don't know why they're there or what they mean? Without the knowledge that Christ gives through faith in God, we're like men who spend their time building uh, beautiful terraced uh, flower and rock gardens in the new subdivision and planting wonderful trees that have been growing for 15 years and then watching the bulldozers come through and just level it and mash it because we never looked at the plan and put it in all the wrong places. If you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, how it relates to God and His purposes for eternity, all life is, is ashes. We'll get to that in just a moment, the futility. But the fourth layer of corruption is that being ignorant, we yield to covetousness and licentiousness. Verse 19. The reason for that is that 
if you don't know the true value of things and how they relate to God, then you will desire the wrong things because they'll look more valuable than the valuable things. Or you'll de desire the right things in the wrong way because they won't be related to God. And the fifth layer of our corruption is futility. Our whole life then becomes a, a heap of ashes, weeks and decades and years of ashes. Verse 17, no longer walk in the futility of, uh, like the Gentiles, in the futility of their mind. The sixth and last layer is the layer that seals our hopelessness without a mighty work of salvation. And verse 18 says we are alienated from the life of God. So hardness and darkness and ignorance and, and covetous licentiousness and a life of futility are the movements and the motions of a living dead man. Remember what Jesus said to the man who wanted to bury his father? Let the dead bury their dead. There are living dead people. Or remember what Paul said about self-indulgent widows in 1 Timothy 5? He said, she is dead even while she lives. That's the condition of every human being apart from the quickening grace of God to bring us to life in God. Every one of us this morning is in that condition until the light of the glory of the gospel of God breaks in, melts the hardness, banishes the darkness, replaces the ignorance with the knowledge of the holy. That's us. So in verse 17, Paul says an amazing thing. He says, no longer live this way. In other words, we don't have to be like that. That's the condition of every human being apart from the grace of God. But he says, no longer live in the futility of your mind. And then in verse 20, he tells us why. You did not so learn Christ. If you have learned Christ, you can be free. But then he catches himself in verse 21 and realizes that he might through this letter, be speaking to some people in the Ephesian church who aren't Christ's and for whom freedom from futility cannot be a truth. So he stops in verse 21 and inserts two qualifications that a person must meet in order to qualify for the freedom from futility and for the verses that we're going to talk about this morning. Here are the two things. He says, assuming, or if indeed, you have heard him. That's the New American Standard and the RSV. And I think that's the right rendering, even though it's not what the two other modern versions have. Assuming you have heard him. And then the second one is... And assuming that you have been taught by him or in him, as the truth is in Jesus. So let's look at these just briefly, because you can't get beyond this point in the message this morning. Unless this is true of you. What I have to say from here on out doesn't apply to people 
who have not heard the voice of Jesus. Jesus said, take heed how you hear at the end of the parable of the four soils in Luke 8. Take heed how you hear. And in another place, several other places, he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Well, you all hear me, but do you all hear me? Jesus says to you this morning, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. Come buy wine and milk without money or without price. Why do you labor for that which is not bread and spend your money for that which does not satisfy? Come, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest. Let him who is thirsty come and drink of the water of life freely and without price. This is the voice of the living Christ. Do you hear it? Take heed how you hear. Because there is a hearing that is a living. There is a a hearing that is a, a coming forth out of the tomb like Lazarus. There is a hearing that is a melting of the hard heart and a hearing that is a a clarifying of the darkness and a coming into knowledge and an abandoning of futility. And so I have to summon you. I long for you to hear the voice of Jesus so that what I have to say in the next 20 minutes will be yours. You can test whether you've heard by whether you can fulfill the second thing in verse 21. Namely, are you willing to enroll in the school of Christ and sit on the front row like Mary looking up into the master's face and saying, teach me how to live. I'm yours forever. Teach me. And if so, then we can go on to verses 22 to 24 because this is lesson number one in the school of Christ. Let's read it. I'm going to read my own literal translation slowly so that you can fit the pieces together with the one that you're holding. Verse 22, Ephesians 4. Put off the old person or self or man or nature, which accords with the former way of life and which is corrupted in accord with desires of deceit and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new person which was created in accordance with God in righteousness and in holiness of the truth. So you have heard the voice of Jesus, all right? 
I'm going to assume that. I pray it's true. You have heard the voice of Jesus calling you from death to life, from darkness to light. And you have humbly and gladly submitted yourself to the invitation to enroll in his school and said, Yes, let me sit on the front row. I don't want to miss a word of this teacher's teaching because I want to know how to live not futilely anymore. And the first thing he says to you is, Change your clothes. Let's call this course Changing Clothes 101 in the curriculum of the School of Christ. All right? So the first question we have to ask is, what are these two garments that we are to lay off and lay on? The old person, the new person. Well, let's talk about the old person. Verse 25 is a wonderfully helpful clue for what the old person means. Because verse 25 uses the word put off that's used in verse 22, and it spells out something specific. It says, therefore, putting off falsehood, speak truth. So my first answer, just based on that verse, is that the old person is a bundle of practices that we ought to get rid of, like lying. That's next week's text. But that's not a sufficient answer because, turn with me two books over, Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, to Colossians 3, and we'll see Paul using this same language, only this time talking about something more than practices that must be laid aside. The garment of the old man is not merely Practices like lying. What is it? Let's look at verse 8 and 9 of Colossians 3. But now, put them all away. That's the same word. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, foul talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old person with its practices. So what is the old person? It's something with its practices. You see that? It can't be defined by practices alone because it says, put off the old person with its practices. So I would define the old person like this. The old person is the bundle of attitudes and emotions and practices that I was when I was in darkness and hard of heart before I was converted. It's the old me with my emotions and my attitudes and my practices. What's the new person? Well, stay right here in Colossians 3 for just a minute and look at verse 12 and we get a good clue to what the new person is. There it says, put on, same word as verse 24 in Ephesians 4, put on then as God's chosen ones holy and loved, compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience. So the whole forbearing one another, and he goes on with the list. So what is the new person? Well, it's just the same thing, isn't it? Namely, a bundle of emotions and attitudes and practices that mark me as a new person in Christ, different from the, the bundle of, of what I felt and thought and did before I got 
converted. Now, that's right. Let me, first of all, press home upon you the utter indispensability of passing this course, that is, of changing your clothes in the school of Christ. You remember the parable of the uh, wedding feast? And Jesus uh, told his stewards to go out and invite uh, the king in the parable, said, go out and invite my, my uh, guests. And they invited them, and, and one said, I have a whole bunch of oxen can't come, and I have a field, and I have to go look at it, and I have a wife, and, and uh, can't come. And he was angry. This is the anger of grace. He was angry, and he said, all right, beat the bushes. Go to the highways and the byways. Go to New Guinea. Go to China. Go to Japan and Taiwan and Afghanistan and Ceylon. And the Philippines, go around this world. My heaven is big in the banquet hall. I want to be full. Go. The invitation is for absolutely anybody now. Who will go through the school of Christ. And so he comes to the end of the parable and he says. When the king came in to look at the guests. He saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the attendants, Bind him, hand and foot, and cast him into outer darkness. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. There are going to be many shocked churchgoers at the return of the Lord Jesus. Who thought that they could graduate from the school of Christ without passing the first course. They hear the bell ring on the school. And they walk in and they sit in the back row. And they hear the master teacher say, Students, the first thing is to change your clothes. And they straighten their collar. And they tuck in their shirts. And they shine their shoes. And they sit there with their racism. And their love of money and their addiction to pornography. And think that they're going to heaven. You have to pass this course to graduate from the school of Christ into heaven. Jesus said, they honor we, me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's out in the playground of the world. 
outside the school. Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. He never really enrolled with his heart. It was all a show. So when Paul says, put off the old person and put on the new, listen. It is not an elective. It is not an elective. It is not an elective. It is the core curriculum. You must pass it to graduate. Now, if that is established, the rest of what I say, I hope, will be received with a great deal more seriousness than it might have been had you not understood that this is not talking about icing on the cake of Christianity. This is Christian life. So the second question I want to raise is why doesn't Paul just come straight out and not use this um, figurative language and just say, Stop doing bad things, start doing good things. I mean, doesn't it amount to that? Break bad habits, form good habits. Stop sinning, start following Jesus. Why doesn't he just come out with it? Instead of talking in this figurative, seemingly complex, roundabout way. And the answer to that question is... Christianity is not like any other school in the world. It is not a moral self-improvement program. That is the school of legalism or the school of works. The school of legalism has a curriculum. The school of grace, the school of Christ has a curriculum. They are vastly different. The school of Christ brings about change in the students in a way that is totally different from any seminar, any secular counseling, any uh, program that is offered you in the newspapers or in any school. Christian transformation is totally different from the moral self-improvement efforts that the world offers the best it can do. Totally different. And that's why Paul must describe the coursework of this core curriculum in such strange language. Let's look at it very closely. First, verses 22 and 24 have four parallels in them. And I want to point those out. Look carefully. First, in verse 22, put off the old person, corresponds in verse 24 to put on the new person. Second, in verse 22... The old person accords with the former way of life. And in verse 24, the new person accords with God. Third, in verse 22, it says that the old self was corrupted through its desires. 
And in verse 24, it says that the new person is created in righteousness and holiness. And fourth, in verse 22, the desires that ruined the old person are based on deceit. And in verse 24, the righteousness and holiness that mark the new person are based on truth. So here they are. Old person, new person. You can just write them in columns. Corresponding to the former life, corresponding to God. Corrupted through desires, created in righteousness and holiness. Based on deceit, based on truth. Now, now we're ready to see why it is that the school of Christ is so radically different in the way it approaches human transformation than the school of the world, legalism, or works. It is not a moral self-improvement course. In that course, you're given assignments and you're told to do them. Period. Very simple. That's it. Here's what you're supposed to do. Do it, for goodness sakes. That's all. And there's so many believers who think that's the nature of the Christian life. Here's the list of things to do. Do them, for goodness sakes. Just do them. Leaving the whole mystery of the curriculum of the school of Christ out. In the school of legalism, we are to do things, just get about it. In the school of grace, what are these clothes? They are, verse 24, created. Underline that word because it is of massive significance. Created. And I don't create anything and you don't create anything. There is one creator. God creates the new person in righteousness and holiness. Created the new person. And remember what it is now. It is a bundle of emotions and attitudes and actions. And verse 24 says it is the creation of God. Now, does the mystery of the curriculum start to hit you? Does the strangeness of this school and this course start to come home to you. It is totally unique. It is unlike any other moral improvement program in the world. I'm given assignments to do, like become holy, and then I'm told that God creates my holiness. This is very strange. This is a strange curriculum. If you want to see one of the strangest sentences in the course description... Turn to chapter 2, verse 10 of Ephesians. Just back one chapter, or a couple chapters, to chapter 2, verse 10. Here is the strangest sentence in the course description of Clothes Changing 101. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You, should, you could say that we should put them on. This boggles the mind. I am God's workmanship, God's creation. 
the works that I'm supposed to do, he has prepared. Who's doing the work in this school anyway? Start to catch on to the complexity and the mystery of the school of grace. I just saw puzzled faces all over the face in the previous services. I said, oh boy, I am really botching this sermon. Maybe I am. There's another possible explanation, though. Most of us live in the school of legalism, and we don't understand the curriculum in the school of grace. We don't understand how to live the Christian life in such a way that it's God's creation. You see why Paul can't just say, okay, you're a Christian, good, now get on with it. Stop doing bad things and start doing good things. That's the best the world can do. Change yourself. But no, in the school of grace, God creates the new person, the attitudes, the emotions, the practices. So here I am. I've heard his voice. I've enrolled in the school. I'm on the front row. And he says to me, put on a new person, and it is God's creation. And I just boggle. Why? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? That's the key question in the Christian life. If you've never asked that question, I wonder if you've enrolled in the school of grace. Here's the key question. Now get this fixed. How can I think in such a way that my thoughts are the creation of God? How can I feel in such a way that my emotions are the creation of God? How can I act in such a way that my practices are the creation of God? How can I so live so that I can talk like one of the great advanced students in the school of Christ, the Apostle Paul, when he said, I worked harder than any of them. Nevertheless, it was not I, but the grace of God which was with me. That's the language of the curriculum of the school of grace. Not I, but Christ. The key question to how to live the Christian life is, how can I so live so that when I have lived, I haven't lived? And I know it boggles the mind because we're all carnal. We're all legalists at heart. We're all simplistic. And we want to boil the Bible down to the world's standards. Just change, would you? We don't want it to be supernatural. We don't want it to be mysterious. What is the answer? How do you Put on a person that God created. 
My answer is verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let me try to show you why. Do you notice in verse 22 that the desires that are corrupting the old person are fueled by deceit? You see that? The desires that are corrupting the old person are fueled by deceit. So what we need is is a new person with righteousness fueled by something else. And look at verse 24 and you'll see what, what righteousness and holiness are fueled by. They are fueled by truth. Now, this is obscured in the RSV and in a lot of the translations. Literally, it is created, according to God, in righteousness and holiness of truth. Truth fuels righteousness. Deceit fuels corrupting desires. What is the bridge over which I can walk? What is the bridge over which I can get from corrupting deceits to sanctifying truth? And the answer is, verse 23, a new mind. A new mind. A new spirit in my mind. And so I close this morning, and we're going to pick this up next week, and we'll keep it for six weeks, applying this to all manner of practical things. If it sounds too ethereal and too theoretical this morning... Be back next week because we're going to talk about lying next week. But here's my answer. How do you become renewed in the spirit of your mind so that when you act, it is the action of God? When you think, it is the thought of God. When you feel, it is the feeling of God. 2 Corinthians 4 says, This outer nature is being corrupted But my inner nature, Paul says, is being renewed. Keyword. Renewed because I look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are so transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How do you get renewed? Don't look at the world so much. Don't think about the world so much. Don't watch so much television. Don't listen to so much radio. Don't read so much junk. Get your mind filled with God. Set your mind on things that are above. Colossians 3, 1. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you have died. And your, your life is hid with Christ and God. Get your mind in heaven. Be heavenly minded. Fill your mind with truth from above. And you'll be new. The prayer. And I close with this now. The prayer in Ephesians 3 is Paul's way of getting at this. He prays that God would grant us to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and depth and length and breadth, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Why does he pray that? Because when you're filled with the fullness of God and not the world, your mind is new, and out of it flows new emotions, new thoughts, new actions, and they're called righteousness and holiness of truth. And brothers and sisters, that is the creation 
of Almighty God and not the work of man. And of that we should sing.